Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial Professor Lily, and this is the unofficial SJM 101. And today, we have a very fun episode. We're kind of back, we're grounding ourselves a little bit more into canon, and we're going to be doing a chapter deep dive. It was requested by one of my mutuals, and it just seemed like a really good, it, it seemed like a really good episode to do. So I decided to just kind of put it in as a break between everything, and I'm really excited for today. And we're going to be back in A Court of Thrones and Roses. We spent a lot of time in A Court of Thrones and Roses, but I do have a lot of Tog Talk today, and we also have some timeline stuff to chat about. So, without further ado, let's get into our warnings. There's going to be SJM Universe spoilers. Massive, gigantic, humongous, SJM Universe spoilers. So if you haven't finished reading all the books written by Sarah J. Mass, save this, follow me, come back and join the conversation when you're done. We are very excited to have you and the podcast is not going anywhere. You can always catch up. There's no time crunch. Not really. Not realistically. The other warning I want to throw in after the spoilers is there's going to be a trigger warning and I'm kind of surprised there isn't one at the beginning of this book for a number of reasons, but we're going to be doing a chapter deep dive on chapter 76 to 77. This is when Nesta gives back her power to the cauldron to save Thera, Reese, and Nyx. This is a really traumatic birth scene, and I want to just put out a trigger warning for anybody about, you know, infant sickness and death and um, hard labors and stuff like that. I know a lot of moms who do get triggered by hard labor talk, and I just feel like I'm, I am very surprised that there isn't a trigger warning in the beginning of this book. It, it's actually quite surprising. I know in the grand scheme of things, that would probably, if you didn't pick up in A Court of Frost and Starlight what was going to happen, and if you didn't catch, like, the really suspicious stuff at the beginning of Akasif, it might be a spoiler to, like, you know, Fair getting pregnant and all that stuff, but I just want to throw in a spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about some heavy topics. I'm going to treat them with reverence, but they are important. Um, I'm not going to try to make light of anything, and I know that for some people, they don't get a magic healing in a, in a time like this, and I just want to warn you that that's what we're going to be talking about today, so just be warned. We're also there. <laughs> You know, this might just be like an, a not safe for work kind of episode. Uh, one time somebody messaged me and said, hey, Lil, I wanted to tell you this funny story and it was funny and I hold it deep inside of my heart. So if you're listening to this, I hope you know that in my darkest days when I need something to lift my spirits, there's like a few catch-all things that I'll think about. And uh, one of them is this story. And <laughs> I'm just going to tell it because I think maybe somebody else needs to laugh. I'm not laughing at your expense, but it is funny and it's a good reminder um, especially on episodes like today, because we'll talk about, um, you know, Bryson Hunt and, and, and just devil tango stuff and all that goodness. And, um, they said that they were listening to the podcast, they listened to the podcast at the gym, and somehow, some way or another, their, uh, phone ended up connecting to the gym Bluetooth, and everybody at the gym got to hear spatulas and speculations. And this might be one of those episodes where you might not want that to happen, because not only are we going to be talking about heavy, heavy topics, but we'll be talking about hide the pickle. And uh, if you don't know that term, hide the pickle, it's pretty self-explanatory, to be honest. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's our warnings for that. The 
third, I guess, because we had a special extra warning. Um, I don't speak for Sarah. Don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. And apparently a lot of people like to argue with me. And I'm kind of glad I got to do an episode dedicated to this because I have a TikTok a little bit about this. And a lot of people, one, were telling me that I, um, we'll talk about pregnancies in a second, but, um, uh, just, like, about that I'm dumb, which is fair, but to be fair, I've never been pregnant, so, uh, I don't know much about pregnancies in the grand scheme of things. I just know what, like, most my high school education has taught me, and, I mean, I, I'm in America, and I went to a public school, so you can't be asking that much, and, um, so a lot of people like to argue with me on this, so this is my podcast. It's a dictatorship, not a democracy, and, uh, these are my opinions. These are my notes. This is what I've gathered. I've tried to stay as close to canon as possibly as I possibly can, but we're going to be talking about something that is probably going to be important to the future. So like a lot of stuff that we talk about and have been talking about recently, we don't have clear-cut answers, and we're just kind of talking about the future of the SJM universe. So we got to hold that with open-mindedness and I also need to hold that with open-mindedness. So we all need to be open-minded and look at this really intense and really emotional moment and remember to stay analytical and to pick apart little pieces that do get on purpose, I'm sure it's on purpose, kind of tucked under the rug of emotional importance and it's just kind of like underneath and like eventually one day SJM's gonna pick up the rug and shake it out and we're all gonna see what she's been hiding under this big fat rug. I mean she started to lift the corners at the end of house up she started to lift the corners. Crescent City she was just like all the stuff I've been tucking under the rug and all the other books like it, it's starting to come out we're starting to like t- deep clean I don't know where this metaphor is going anyways. <laughs> um, the last thing is is sometimes I pronounce things wrong I'm reading out loud I was never a public speaker. I'm working on being better. Thank you so much for having grace as I try and get better. So, very, very long intro. Apparently, I'm talkative today. Oh, boy. Um, I invite you to turn with me if you want to. I'm going to be reading from chapter 76 and 77. I'm going to do it all in one go, but I will let you know when there are POV breaks because it does jump between Cassie and Anesta, kind of just off the cusp, which is interesting, um, like writing-wise, which, I mean, we won't talk about, but it's, it is interesting to me. Um, but I'll, I'll let you know when I'm changing perspective so that way you can kind of keep in mind on, on which side of the story we're on. Okay, let's do it. For a little bit of timeline slash story-wise context, if you haven't recently read Akasif, I'll just let you know what's going on. This is immediately after the end of the blood rite. The stars are no longer aligned. That's probably important. And it's right after Briellyn, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, was unmade and into dust. Nesta had used that huge amount of power. It felt around everywhere. And more gets Cassian and Nesta from the top of Ramil, which, um, now that I'm, I literally, as I just said that out loud, I thought nobody was allowed on Ramil. Hmm, interesting. I mean, maybe it was just, like, kind of, like, an unspoken rule, like, oh, nobody's allowed on it. Like, I'm sure there's not any, like, maybe there's no protection, but, I mean, I feel like could anyone just, like, winnow to the top of Ramil? 
I mean, I guess Brielin did. This is not important. Anyways, um, so, and she says, something's wrong. It's Farah. And it jumps into 76. So here we go. This starts in Nesta's perspective. The river house was so silent, like a tomb. She started bleeding a few hours ago, Moore said, as she led them through the house. But she's months away from giving birth, Nesta protested, following close on her heels. The scent of blood filled the room as they entered. So much blood. All over the bed. Smeared over Farah's spread thighs. No, babe. And Farah's face. It was white as death. Her eyes were closed, her breathing too shallow. Reese crouched at her side, gripping her hand, panic and terror and pain warred on his face. Maja, kneeling on the bed between Farah's legs, blood up to her elbows, said without looking at them, I turned the babe, but he's not descending. He's wedged in the birth canal. A small intake of breath from the corner of the room revealed Amran sitting there, her pale face drained of color. She's losing too much blood, and I can feel the babe's heart in distress, Maja announced. What do we do? Moore asked, as Cassian and Azrael went to stand behind Reese's hands on his shoulder. There's nothing we can do, Maja said. Cutting the babe out would kill her. Cutting it out? Nesta demanded, earning a sharp glare from Reese. Maja ignored her tone. An incision along her abdomen, even one carefully made, is an enormous risk. It's never been successful, and even with Farah's healing abilities, the blood loss has weakened her. Do it, Farah managed to say, the words weighted with pain. Farah, Reese objected. The babe likely won't survive, Maja said, voice gentle but no nonsense. It's too small yet. We risk you both. All of you, Cassian breathed eyes on Reese. Do it, Farah said, her voice that of the high lady. No fear, only determination for the life of the babe within her. Farah looked up at Reese. We have to. The High Lord nodded, slowly, eyes lined with silver. A hand slid into Nesta's, and she found Elaine there, shaking and wide-eyed. Nesta squeezed her sister's fingers. Together, they approached the other side of the bed. And when Elaine began praying to the Fae's foreign gods, to their mother, Nesta bowed her head, too. And then it switches into Cassian's perspective. Feyre was dying. The babe was dying, and Reese would die with them. But Cassian knew it wasn't the fear of his own death that had his brother trembling. Cassian's hands tightened on Reese's shoulders. Night-flecked power leaked from his high lord, trying to heal Farah, just as Maja was. But the blood, but the blood kept pouring out, faster than any power could stifle. How had it come to this? A bargain made through love between two mates would now end with three lives lost. Cassian's body drifted somewhere far away as Maja got off the bed, then returned with a set of knives and tools, blankets and towels. Go into our mind and take the pain away, Maja said to Reese, who blinked in confusion and then cursed as if scolding himself for not thinking of it sooner. 
Cassian looked across the bed to where Elaine was holding Thera's other hand, and Nesta held on to Elaine's. Rhys said to his mate, Thera, darling. No goodbyes, Thera panted. No goodbyes, Rhys. Whatever Rhys did for the pain had her eyes closing, and Cassian's mind went wholly silent and blank as Maja pulled up Thera's shift, her knives flashing. There was no sound when the tiny winged babe emerged. When Moore stood there, blankets in hand, and took the unmoving boy from Maja's bloody hands. But Reese was crying, and tears began pouring down Moore's face as she gazed at the silent babe in her arms. And when Maja swore, and Reese, Reese began screaming, Cassian knew as he lunged for Farah on the bed what was about to happen. Yet no force in the world could stop it. Then it switches into Nesta's perspective. The world slowed. Went cold. There was the silent, too small babe in Moore's arms. There was Feyre, sliced open and bleeding out on the bed. There was Rhysand screaming as if his soul was being shredded. But Cassian and Azrael were there hauling him away from the bed as Maja tried to save Vera. But death hovered nearby. Nesta felt it, saw it, a shadow thicker and more permanent than any of Azriel's. Elaine sobbed, squeezing Vera's hand, pleading with her to hold on, and Nesta stood in the midst of it, death swirling around her, and there was nothing, 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 to be done as Farah's breathing thinned, as Maja began shouting at her to fight it. Farah. Farah, who had gone to the woods for them, who had saved them so many times. Farah, her sister. Death lurked near Farah and her mate, a beast waiting to pounce, to devour them both. Nesta pulled her hand free from Elaine's and stepped back. She closed her eyes and opened that place in her soul that had torn free on Ramil. And then it cuts into Cassian's perspective. Cassian could barely restrain Reese, even with all seven siphons blaring along Azriel's. He should let Reese go to her. If they were both about to die, he should let Reese go to his mate, be with her in these last seconds, last breaths. Golden light flickered on the other side of the room, and Amran gasped. Cassian's heart curdled in horror. Nesta no longer hovered on the side of the bed, but she now stood a few feet away. She wore the mask. She placed the crown atop her head, and she cradled the harp in her arms. No one had ever wielded all three and live. No one could contain their power, control them. Nesta's eyes blazed with silver fire behind the mask, and Cassian knew the being that looked out was neither fey, nor human, nor anything that had walked the lands of this world. She began moving towards the bed, and Reese surged for her. Nesta held up a hand, and Reese went still, as still as Cassian had gone under the crown's control. Feyre's chest lifted, a death rattle whispering from her white lips, and Cassian could do nothing but watch as Nesta's fingers, still bloody and filthy from the right, drifted to the final string of the harp, the twenty-sixth string, 
and plucked it. Now we are in chapter 77, and this is Nesta's perspective. This is where the meat of it is. It was time. The 26th string on the harp was time itself, and Nesta stopped it as Farah took her last breath. Lanthes had said as much, that even death bowed to the final string, that time was no consequence to the harp. The string made no sound as Nesta plucked it, only robbed the world of it. And the death that Nesta had felt around her sister, around Resand and the babe in Moore's arms, she bade the mass to halt that too, hold it at bay. In the beginning and in the end, there was darkness and nothing more. A soft, familiar voice whispered the words as they had been whispered to her long ago as it had warned her in the ward's darkness a lovely kind female voice sage and warm which had been waiting for her all this time the room was a taboo of frozen moments of shocked and horrified faces twisted towards her towards pharaoh and all the blood nesta walked through it past Reese's screaming, straining body, his face the portrait of despair and terror and pain, past the grave-faced Azrael, past Cassian gritting his teeth as he held Reese back, past Amran, whose gray eyes were fixed on where Nesta had been, pure dread and something like awe in her face, past Moore and that too small bundle in her arms, Elaine at her side frozen in her crying. Nesta walked through it all, through time, to her sister. Do you see how it might be? That soft female voice whispered, staring out through her eyes. What you might do? I feel nothing, Nesta said silently. Only the sight of Pharaoh on death's threshold kept her from forgetting why she was here, what she needed to do. Is that not what you wanted? To feel nothing? I thought that's what I wanted. Nesta surveyed the people around her, her sisters. Cassian, who had been willing to plunge a dagger into his heart rather than harm her. But no longer. When the female's voice didn't impress her, Nesta went on. I want to feel everything. I want to embrace it with my whole heart. Even the things that hurt and harm you? Only curiosity lays the question. Nesta allowed herself a breath to ponder it, stilling her mind once more. We need those things in order to appreciate the good. Some days are more difficult than others, but I want to experience all of it. Live through all of it, with them. That wise, soft voice whispered, So live, Nesta Archeron. Nesta needed nothing more as she took her sister's limp hand and knelt upon the floor, set the harp beside her, its silent note still reverberating, holding time firm in its grasp. She didn't know what she could offer beyond this stroking Farah's cold hands, 
Nesta spoke into the timeless, frozen room. You loved me when no one else would. You never stopped. Even when I didn't deserve it, you loved me and fought for me and... Nesta looked at Farah's face, death a breath away from claiming it. She didn't stop the tears that ran down her cheek as she squeezed Farah's slender hand tighter. I love you, Farah. She had never said those words aloud to anyone. I love you, she whispered again. I love you. And when the harp's final string wavered like a whisper of thunder on the air, Nesta covered Feyre's body with her own. Time would resume soon. She didn't have much longer. She reached inward towards the power that had made deathless monsters tremble and wicked kings fall on their knees, but she didn't know how to use it. Death flowed through her veins, yet she didn't have the knowledge to master it. One wrong move, one mistake, and Pharaoh would be lost. So Nesta held her sister tightly, with time halted around them, and she whispered, If you show me how to save her, you can have it back. The world paused. The worlds beyond their own paused. Nesta buried her face in the cold sweat of Feyre's neck. She opened that place within herself and said to the mother, to the cauldron, I'll give back what I took from you. Just show me how to save them. Her, Resand, and the baby. Resand, her brother. That's what he was, wasn't he? Her brother who had offered her kindness, even when she knew he wanted to throttle her. And she, him, and the baby. Her nephew, blood of her blood, she would save him, save them, even if it took everything. Show me, she pleaded. No one answered. The harp stopped its echoing as time resumed, noise and movement roaring into the room. Nesta whispered to the cauldron, her promise rising above the din, I'll give it all back. A soft, invisible hand brushed her cheek in answer. And then it switches into Cassian's perspective. Cassian blinked, and Nesta had gone from one side of the room to the bed, had plucked the harp, and now laid half on top of Pharaoh, whispering. No silver fire burned in her eyes, not a cold ember, no sign of the being who peered out through her stare, either. Reese lunged against his hold, but Amran stepped to their side and hissed, Listen, Nesta whispered. I give it all back. Her shoulders heaved as she wept. Reese began shaking his head, his power a palpable, rising wave that could destroy them all, destroy the world if it meant that Pharaoh was no longer in it, even if he only had seconds to live beyond her. But Amran grabbed the nape of his neck, her red nails digging into his golden skin. Look at the light! Iridescent light began flowing from Nesta's body into Farah. Nesta kept holding her sister. I give it back. I give it back. I give it back. Reese stopped fighting. No one moved. 
The light glimmered down Feyre's arms, her legs. It suffused her ashen face and began to fill the room. Cassian's siphon guttered as if sensing a power far beyond his own, beyond any of theirs. Tendrils of light drifted between the sisters, and one, delicate and loving, floated towards more, to the bundle in her arms, setting the silent babe within, glowing bright as the sun. Mesta kept whispering, I give it back, I give it all back. The iridescence filled her, filled Thera, filled the bundle in Moore's arms, lighting his friend's face so the shock on it was etched in stark relief. I give it back, Nesta said one more time, and the mask and the crown tumbled from her head. The light exploded, blinding and warm. A wind swept past them as if gathering every shard of itself out of the room. And as it faded, dark ink splashed upon Nesta's back, visible through her half-shredded shirt, as if there were a wave crashing upon the shore. A bargain, with the cauldron itself. Yet Cassian could have sworn a luminescent, gentle hand prevented the light from leaving her body altogether. Cassian didn't fight Reese this time as he raced to the bed, to where Feyre lay flush with color, no more blood spilling between her legs. Feyre opened her eyes. She blinked at Reese and then turned to Nesta. I love you too, Feyre whispered to her sister and smiled. Nesta didn't stop the sob as she launched herself into Feyre and embraced her, but the gesture was short-lived hardly the length of a blink, before a healthy wail went up from the other side of the room and... Moore stammered, weeping, and the babe she brought over to the bed was not the small, still thing she had been holding, but a full-termed winged boy. His thick cap of dark hair lay plastered to his head as he mewled for his mother. Feyre began sobbing then, too, taking her son from Moore, hardly noticing Maja suddenly leaning between her legs, inspecting what was there, the healing. If I didn't know better, I'd say you developed an Illyrian anatomy, the healer muttered, but no one was listening. Not as Reese put his arm around Feyre, and together they peered at the boy, their son. Together they wept and laughed, and when Maja said, let him feed, Feyre obeyed, wonder in her eyes as she brought him to her breast, now swollen with milk. But Reese watched in awe for all of a moment before he whirled to Nesta, who slid off the bed and now stood beside the mask. Behind her, the crown and harp lay strewn on the floor. Cassian held his breath as the two of them surveyed each other. Then Reese fell to his knees and took Nesta's hands in his, pressing his mouth to his fingers. Thank you, he wept, head bowed. Cassian knew it wasn't gratitude for Reese's own life that he knelt upon the sacred tattoos inked upon his knees. Nesta dropped to the carpet, lifting Reese's face in her hands, studied what lay in it, and then she threw her arms around the high lord of the night court and held him tightly.
<sighs> there is so much. <laughs> I was like reading it and I kept like stumbling over my words, which you won't get because I edit all of my stumblings and um, you guys don't know that, but it, I am not a fluid reader. I do have to re, re you know, re repeat stuff, but I edit it so it all flows into one piece. But I was reading it and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot I needed to mention this. Oh, yeah, I, oh, oh, that sounds like this as it happens every time I read um, a bigger section from SJM. So let's break it down. Okay, there's so much to go through. The first thing I want to go through actually doesn't really have too much to pertain to this particular chapter, but the timelines are timelining. Uh, and and Nix's, Nix's birth has become somewhat of an important piece of the timeline to me because um, when... Bryce lands at the river house at the end of Hosab and at the, I think it's on YouTube still, it, it, there's an interview that Sarah gave, there's two of them, there's a non-spoiler interview and a spoiler interview, and in the spoiler interview she says that Hosab ends a few months after the ending of Akasif, so Nyx will be a few months old, a, a few months to a year old. And the reason why I kind of have this as like a, there are a few like, how do I want to, how do I say this? So there are a few events within the SJM universe that I have, you know, kind of circle, underline, you know, whatever, as important to the timeline. And I think Nix's birth is going to be one of those important to the timeline moments. So, and that's because there's two things that happen in Akasif. So, somewhat of the end-ish middle, um, we have Starfall in Akasif. And Starfall and Ninzir, which is something that we talked about in the very first episode of this podcast, which is the ending of seeding the fields and gathering the first flowers of the year, it happens in spring. So, Starfall and Ninzir happen at the very beginning of spring. Starfall is souls passing through, Aelin falls at some point between Starfall and the Bloodrite, but we don't get a specific time. It doesn't say it happened at Starfall. It just says it happened right after the ending of the Starfall chapter, which we've also talked about in the beginning, the first episode of this podcast, but it's been almost a year since that episode, so I think it's fair that we can do a little refresher. So Aelin's fall happens. Aelin's fall is one of those um, crucial events in the SJM universe that I kind of circle tab, you know, just on the timeline scale. Then Calamai ha happens after Starfall and Ninzir. Doesn't say how much time passes between the two, but I'm assuming it's probably like a month-ish or two, a couple weeks at, at the most, because Calamai is like... I don't want to say it's like the equinox, like the spring equinox, but it's, I don't know. I don't know when it is. It's definitely before summer. It's not really important, but that's when magic is generated slash a lot of life is bloomed. That's when a lot of conceptions happen because, you know, it's a big fat fey orgy. <laughs> and then we have the blood rite, which is a lot of death. And we have the power in the stone. So I think what's happened, and this will all make sense in a second. So in spring, we almost get this complete cycle in in a big old circle. We have Ninzir and Starfall, souls passing through, you know, clipping your first flowers, you know, you're getting to enjoy the fruit of labor, 
that kind of thing. Then we have Calamai, when life and magic is generated, a lot of growth. And then we have the blood rite, which is a lot of death. And the reason why I bring this up is because as I was reading uh, Crescent City for the tabbed reread, I got kind of caught up on the illusion system. I don't know if that's particularly how it's pronounced. It's just how my mouth is pronouncing it. And there, that's a real thing in uh, Greek the the Elysian, Elysian, Elysian mysteries, which kind of pertains to Persephone and, um, the, the bargain that she has that of winter and spring, and there's like death, rebirth, and immortality kind of, it's, there's a whole thing, and we'll talk about it one day, uh, when we talk about the drop on the podcast eventually, but I kind of think it's interesting that all of these that the, the 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 spring in Perithian somewhat mirrors that, and two really important things happen in the SJM timeline. In these in this spring, we have Aelin falling through the multi the multiverse through the worlds. It's not the multiverse through the worlds between the souls passing when magic and life is generated, and then Nyx is born the day that the rite ends. So the stars are not quite as aligned. But it seems like a very important date to be born. Does that make any sense? So Nyx is born right after there. And then just to kind of continue on my timelining thoughts. The end of Akasif is... I want to say it's the end of House of Earth and Blood, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. It's the end of House of Earth and Blood. I'm, I'm writing this down in my notes. House of Earth and Blood. And then the... Sp- Autumn equinox happens, which is when in House of Sky and Breath, in the middle, and that's because, and that's important because it's when the veil is thinnest between worlds. That is actually um, true in Throne of Glass as well. Uh, they call it a different thing. I can't, uh, it starts with an S. I can't remember the exact date, but it's the autumn equinox. So that's true in both Midgard and Aurelia. And then a few weeks after the autumn equinox, Bryce lands in Perithian. So Bryce will be in Perithian at the, from, in autumn, in autumn, basically, autumn of Akatar, which doesn't sound like it's important, but the, as much information as we can gather and kind of just have cemented, concreted in our head, I think is important, especially if Bryce could happen to be, I mean, we don't know how long she's going to be there for, but if she's there for Starfall, I mean, not, I mean, realistically, that's not, like, super far from Feyre's birthday, so, I mean, from winter into spring. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say it's important. And also, she's months away from giving birth. So Nyx was m- was meant to have been born <sighs> end of spring. He would have been a Gemini. <laughs> he would have been a Gemini. <laughs> I gotta love that. He's not one. He's probably a Taurus, just like Aelin. So there's that. Anyways, not important. I do want to say, so she was months away from giving birth. Fae pregnancies are one month longer than human pregnancies. And this is where I got a lot of um, crap on my TikTok because I had said that Fae pregnancies were 10 months because I'm 
go to a public school. I don't really know. I've never gone through a pregnancy. I don't know. I don't know a lot, okay? But everyone yelled at me and basically called me dumb because apparently, despite the fact that all of media and everything I learned in high school was that. <laughs> I'm old. I don't know why I don't. I don't know. Whatever. Um, was nine months. And so I just rounded, I just went to 10. And I figured because like, yeah, nine months, but like people go over or whatever. But I, it, I don't know. I don't know. So I guess Faye pregnancies would be 11 months. And it says months, plural. And plural is more than one, more than two, I would assume. But it doesn't say exactly, like, we never got, like, a clear date for when Pharaoh was supposed to give birth. And we don't have months and a calendar in Akhtar, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But I do want to just note that Nyx was very, very, very premature. And we're going to keep talking about that uh, as we go on. But the next thing I want to point out, so after all of that, I don't know why, is that, what did, I, did I, whatever I tell you even important? Probably not, but I wanted to talk about it because I like talking about the timeline and it's something that has always and still does interest me a lot. So we're going to keep talking about the timeline because it's my podcast and I want to. I don't know why I'm fighting with you. You're not fighting me. I'm not fighting me. Who am I fighting? Nobody. So on to about, so she, Maja says that the baby won't survive um, being birthed, being cut out. And, um, so I just want to point that out. So, like, he's not, like, like, I just want to reiterate that it was very detrimental that Nyx was born so early. It wasn't just, like, you know, like, he was born way early. That's what I'm trying to, I want to reiterate because I, when we're talking about what happened with Nesta and, and the magic that goes on here, I think it's really, really important, and it wasn't just a simple healing that happened. And I just really want to, I'm going to point this out, and I, and I know people might roll their eyes at me, but I, I just want to point out how detrimental this situation was. Not only that Reese and Pharaoh were going to die, and if Nick's, the, and, and I, I have this in my notes, there, she's like, I don't think you should cut him out, but it was the only chance that Nick's had, and Pharaoh says, we have to. Because if Farrah was going to die anyways, then Reese was going to die anyways. They were trying to set up an heir. I mean, I know that's not really what Reese and Farrah were most worried about, but if they didn't have, if they don't have an heir to the throne of the Night Court, Kier would probably Kier, unless more took him out. Like there's, there would have been a huge like um catastrophic power struggle in the night court the night court who's who's holding everyone together Illyrio probably would have separated like a lot of things would have happened that was that would be really bad like really bad and um i think they were, they were just trying to to stop that as best they could um but yeah there's that and there might be an episode where i don't talk about elaine Today is definitely not that day and probably, probably next week won't either. I don't know. Maybe never. But Nesta says, and when Elaine began praying to the Fae's foreign gods, to their mother. So it's interesting that it says the Fae's foreign gods and not forgotten gods because Pharaoh calls them the forgotten gods. 
not the foreign gods. So I'm kind of curious of two things. One, does Nesta know the names of the foreign gods, the old gods? Does Elaine know who they are enough to be praying to them? And second, Nesta says to their mother, and I know it's kind of an ambiguous sentence, the Fae's foreign gods to their mother, either the Fae's mother or... I just want to point out their mother. In Throne of Glass, um, in, the, in, in Throne of Glass, the first book, they're talking about the great goddess at the ceremony they have, the, I think it's like the, the winter one. And um, it said that the great goddess actually birthed and was the mother of the OG gods. So I think this sentence is really interesting. The phase foreign gods to their mother. And I know, like, we've talked about the Tog gods being a series, so, like, it doesn't really... I mean, it doesn't really make sense that the Tog gods are from the mother, because I don't really see the mother creating such petty, horrible creatures. Um, I mean, if she did, then, like, you know, nature versus nurture, you know what I mean? But I just think this one sentence has always hung... like, has always lingered with me and stayed with me, and I have it in my book, like, that little callback to Throne of Glass... And I just think it's really interesting that Elaine, like, knows enough and is reverent enough to be praying to them. Like, I've, I mean, there's, like, one time that we see Feyre praying, but she prays to the cauldron as she's holding the cauldron. And she makes a bargain with it. But it's never touched on. I think that's interesting as well, but I, that's you know, neither here nor there, but in, in Akawar, that's what happens. She, like, is praying to the cauldron, and, but that's the only time I've ever seen anyone pray in, in Akatar, really, expect, like, to a god, and I think it's interesting that Elaine prays, prays to the phase foreign gods, like, not to the human ones, to whoever the humans had, the forgotten gods, like, wild to me, wild to me, and then Nessa says to their mother, like, as if the mother didn't create everybody, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's weird. It's weird. It's like alarm bells to me. It's alarm bells to me. I want to talk about Feyre and Reese's bargain. And we're going to spend a, a little bit of time on it because there's a lot to go through. So it's in Ankhwar 82 that we actually see them make this bargain. And it says this. I heard you. Even in death, it made me look back made me stay a little longer before going to that place I had once tried to describe to the carver. When it's time to go there, I said quietly, we'll go together. It's a bargain, he said and kissed me gently. I murmured back into his lips, yes it is. The skin on my left arm tingled, a lick of warmth snaked down it. I looked down to find another tattoo there, the twin to the one that had once graced it, save for the black band of the bargain I had made with Bryaxis. He modified this one to fit around it, to be seamlessly integrated amidst the whirls and swirls. I missed the old one, he said innocently. On his own left arm, the same tattooed flowed, not to his fingers the way mine did, but rather from his wrist to his elbow. Copycat, I said tartly. It looks better on me. And then we get a little more on their bargain in Akasif 64, and it said, 
we made a bargain after the war to only leave this world together. Amrin began massaging her temples, muttering a prayer for sanity. And Azrael asked, You made a bargain to die together? Fools! Amrin hissed. Romantic, idealistic, fools! Rhys turned bleak eyes to her. It's, this is not my thought, but I hold it, um, uh, yeah, I, I had never thought of it like that, but fey bargains, as we learn throughout all of SGM, they're very, very specific things. The wording is very important, and there's a lot of ways around some wording. We made a bargain after the war to only leave this world together. Does that mean no world walking? Like, there's a lot of ways to take this bargain. Um, now that world walking is like a thing, Reese or Feyre couldn't go to aid a battle in somewhere else without the other. Like, one couldn't hold down the fort in Perithian and then go there. Like, they'd have to go together. Or else. Something would happen. I also, like want to point out the place that they're going they're talking about it actually is void i think it's void and we see that and we've talked about it before and i'm just going to note two important pieces because this is important here um is void is where everybody returns to comes from and returns to apparently according to the under king which i mean how much can we believe from him i don't know but i, I like to think it's true and then also when pharaoh was dying in Akatar. She says it was like swimming through sparkling wine, which is first light. They slipped, they sipped the magic of the world like wine. Our magic is fading like watered down wine. We know first light equals magic. All that good stuff. Yeah, it was, I, I just think it's like such a, like, oh, I like, it's those moments where I'm like, Sarah, how, how good are you? How good are you? Come on now. Like, this is one of those moments for me, and I like to, I like to just talk about them. There's some pieces about Nyx, but we're going to talk about them when we talk about what happened with him at the end here. So I'm just going to skip them and move on to a little other pieces that I think are really important. And it says, yet no force in this world could stop it. The world slowed, went cold. There's another time, and I didn't catch it. This is why the rereads are so important, because I never would have caught it unless I was reading it. But at the very beginning of Crescent City, when Bryce is at the club, at the time that Danica dies, Bryce says she feels like the world slows, time slowed, because she was so drunk and high. And now when I see this, the world slowed, time slowed, the world slowed, when we see world powers dying, time and the world, they ripple, that I'm, I'm not sure if that's what's happening here, but ever since I learned about the world powers and we see it happen with Erwin and we see it happened with Sandriel and Micah, I'm like on the lookout for these moments when like time slows and world the world warps and stuff like time and space warp basically and the question would be then why didn't it happen in Aquar when Reese died 
I don't know. I don't know why. Um, if, is it because it wasn't as permanent, but it wasn't permanent then either? I can't tell you. I, I don't know. Maybe Reese isn't a world power, but maybe Feyre is a world power, and Feyre is the one who was dying here. Maybe Nyx is the world power, and Nyx was dying here. So, like, maybe that's what's happening. I can't quite tell you. I don't know if it's true, but I do feel that it's important here, and that's what I'm going to say on that. The next thing I want to point out is that death seems to both be a place and a person or a thing. And there's, it happens once in Throne of Glass and I, for the life of me, I can't find it. Um, I think it's when Adian is like on death's threshold in Queen of Shadows, but I, I couldn't find it for this episode, but I do have it in Akatar. Death is presented as feminine, as a female. And it happens in Akatar 36, and I have the quote for you here. And it's from Reese, actually. And it's when he's trying to make the bargain with Feyre um, in the very beginning. And it says, I bet you'll be spitting on Death's face when she comes to claim you too. We're going to talk about the power of Death and Nesta's power, which is always up for conversation because we never actually get, like, a clear... I don't know how Silver Flames equals death. I don't know. I still don't know. But I do have maybe a little bit more insight onto the conversation that we're going to talk about in a second. But I do want to point out that death seems to be feminine here uh, in, in general. And I just, mm, it tickles my brain in a way that I'm just going to point it out whenever I have the chance. Because it says, death lurked near Farah and her mate, a beast waiting to pounce to devour them both. And then Nesta puts on the crown, the mask, and holds the harp. And I, I wanna, I wanna talk about the dread trove on its own one day, probably pretty soon, because it's gonna be important considering the horn is in Grace's back. But Cassian says, Cassian ends up going. Nesta's eyes blazed with silver fire behind the mask, and Cassian knew the being that looked out was neither Fey nor human, nor anything that had walked the lands of this world. I think that's also interesting wording. I think Sarah puts in a lot of, like, little, like, um, I, th I think it's, like, called Chekhov's gun or something like that. Um, it's, like, a writing tool. And a lot of people like to kind of, I wouldn't say discount Sarah's planning by just saying, like, oh, she just left a whole bunch of Chekhov's guns everywhere and she, like, came back and got them, which, I mean, whatever. I'm not gonna argue with people. I do think that there are certain f phrases. Chekhov's gun is um, a literary phrase that basically, basically, this is a very abbreviated version, don't hold me to it, is that authors can, can leave something or writes something that could be used later on, could be picked back up later on. It's not really, like, concrete in the plot, and sometimes it might not even be, like, wholly intentional. But I do think that there are times when, like, very, like, particular wording is used with Sarah that I think would be important later on. And it just kind of happens throughout throughout everything and it's just like little teeny little hints little moments that we've gotten that I think is what created such a well-rounded crossover and why we have this podcast is like for little phrases like this that we can kind of like 
she's kind of like put down and eventually maybe one day we'll be able to tie into a future episode after House of Flame and Shadow if we continue the podcast after Flame and Shadow. So anyways, a being is looking out through Nesta's mask and I can't, I can't believe more people don't scream about the fact that Nesta was possessed three times, three the magic number, once when she scries in the Ord and then now not possessed, but she's not the only one in her body, that's for sure. And the only time that happens is, I mean, other than the Valgs taking over people's bodies, like with Dorian, is when Deanna takes over Aelin's body. And we've talked about that on this podcast before. We talked, we did a whole episode on the scrying scene. And again, I just like, it really gets me. It like makes me like, like, hello, am I alone? Screaming into the void. Um, I just, you know, <laughs> so, but we learn that maybe it's not like Deanna, which, I mean, it's the same thing that happened, but maybe it's the mother, maybe it's chaos, maybe it's multiple people, who who honestly knows, if the door is open, the door is open, who, who knows who's walking through, who knows who's hanging out in the gates, I'm looking at you, on Ramil, gate person who stopped Nesta from following all, falling all the way down the mountain, but I think particularly here, it's either going to be the mother, Chaos, Silva, if if not, they're all the same person. Throughout A Court of Silver Flames, we start the conversation of realms and there being most likely, most likely, 26 realms. The only one we know for sure is the time realm. I have a list, a running list of ones of like possibilities I've picked out, like things I think could be realms, but there's only four that I think are 100% I think they are realms. And it comes through a whole combination of things that we won't get into in this episode because one, we've kind of already talked a little bit about, well, we started the conversation of realms in the beginning of this podcast long, long time ago. But I think for sure we know that time is a realm. Like I'm putting my eggs in these baskets. I'm, I'm very, very certain that these are going to be realms as well. Space, fate, I know that one's going to trip up some people. I do think fate might be a realm. Shadow, light, or more specifically, I think it could be starlight as a realm. And there's like the biggest one about shadow and light or darkness in kind of in quotations is I think that that shadow and space could kind of maybe work in tandem and that's how winnowing works, maybe. And I also think shadow and starlight is because and, and it's in a section that we'll be reading from when bryce and hunter in the garden we're going to talk about this again in a second but i'm just going to throw it out in here <laughs> they're doing they're they're doing the devil's tango they're playing hide the pickle it's um it's touch tackle football you know what i mean like okay yeah you know what you're they're doing and they're in the garden um it says Falling through time and space, light and shadow. Up was down, down was up, and they were the only beings in existence here in this garden, locked away from time. So I think that these kind of moments are really important, and that's where I think that light and shadow, or starlight and shadow at least, are realms, because they were falling through them, if that makes any sense. Like, I, I, I want to, I should probably just save that for like <laughs> when we do the episode with about the dread trove i don't even know if anybody wants me to do it 
of a little the treasure of i think i just need to do notes on it because i just feel like i need a good grasp of it but anyways this is the most important piece that i want to talk well the second most important piece i think i want to talk about today nesta is donned she's looking through the mask with the other and the other says this in the beginning and in the end there was darkness and nothing more a soft familiar voice whispered the words as they had been whispered to her long ago it had warned her in the ord's darkness a lovely kind female voice sage and warm which had been waiting for her all this time so in this sec in this chapter nesta makes a bargain with the mother slash cauldron kind of one and the same and she hears a voice whisper uh, she talks to somebody else another being this happens another time in the sjm universe it happens in tower of dawn i know tower of dawn so important it's kind of wild i i it's wild to me that it's so important like it, mm. almost to the point where i feel like i want to reread it again in tower of dawn chapter 63 this is when urine is saving kale and it says it was too late her magic could feel it his death she had never told him of that terrible gift that healers knew when death sat near. Silba, the lady of gentle deaths. So that's, there's two pieces to this. So one, Nesta could feel death. Nesta could see death hanging around. Yurine could too. And then after that, they end up having a conversation with the mother. So it kind of seems like death and the mother seem very closely knit together. It says... That voice with both Hafiza's and the other said again, there must be a cost for what the princess had done to him. There was no returning from it. I will pay it, Irene said, into the pain and the dark and the light. Said into the pain, the dark and light. Again, light and shadow. There's something there. Urgh. A daughter of Fenharo will pay the debt of the son of Alderlin. Yes. She could have sworn a gentle, warm hand brushed her face, and Yurine knew it did not belong to Hafiza or the other, did not belong to any healer alive, but to one who had never left her, even when she had been turned to ash on the wind. The other said, You offer this of your own free will. Yes, with my entire heart. It had been his from the start anyways. Those loving phantom hands brushed her cheek again and faded away. The other said, I chose well. You shall pay the debt, Irene Towers, and I hope you shall see it for what it truly is. I think um, this is interesting. You offer this of your own free will. That really reminds me of what happens when Bryce um, goes to the Underking and makes that bargain. Again, why does nobody ever talk about that? Oh, there's so much. There's, sometimes I'm like, ah, there's not a lot left to talk about. Like, someday these someday these podcast episodes are just going to be long-winded. And then I just have these thoughts where I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I keep forgetting that Bryce, like, made a bargain <laughs> with Andre Kang. Anyway, so it, it had to be done of the free will or whatever, I think, as well. And then also, um, just while we're on the topic, there... Nesta does the th the threes. I give it back. I give it back. I give it back. She does it three times. They had Bryce had to say it three times to the Underking, and then Nesta says it again. Th 
three times in a row as well. So it happened six times, but three and three. So there's that threes bit. So I kind of wish there was a three bit here, but there isn't. I think it's really interesting. And I've talked about this many, many times, and I'll continue to talk about it because I think it's, it might be important down the line, at least sometime. But Yurene, um gets pregnant around the same time, around the same time as Farah. Farah has her baby early. Yurene probably was having her baby not long after Farah did. Or at least maybe at the exact when Farah was meant to have had Nyx. So I think that there is something there. I think there is something there. And also that Kale and Yurene's bargain is almost the exact same as Farah and Reese's. That if one goes, the other goes. I'm kind of interested to see if Yurene... I mean, I don't think we'd... I don't know if we'd ever get to see it, but I would be really interested to see if Kale and Yurene could world walk without each other because I don't think Reese and Farah can. But I don't know. Their, their bargain's really interesting. I... <laughs> uh, well, what's the quote? If I had a if I had a nickel for every time this happened, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it really says something or something or whatever. You know, that's that's the that's how I feel right now. Except I kind of have three nickels, three bargains that are really important, I guess. Because if we count Bryce's bargain, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Anyways, moving on. The other also talked to Yurene in the quote-unquote womb. I think we've talked about that before. I know I have sometimes, somewhere down the line, somewhere in the universe, I've talked about it. But, um, so she talks to her, talks to the other in Silva's womb into the darkness, and it, and it responds back to her. In A Court of Silver Flames, Nesta calls the darkness in the tunnel, the heart of the darkness, um, the womb of creation. She also calls the cauldron the womb. It was like literally specifically, specifically the womb and it was talking back to her in the library. Kind of, it was weird. It was like beckoning her. Same thing happens with Yurene. There's a darkness that like kind of awakens, beckons her. They kind of have like a moment. It's pretty weird. Nobody questions it. I question it. I'm surprised Yurene didn't question it, but I don't know. Whatever. So, Mother, Chaos, Silba, kind of all the same because she doesn't specifically say it was Silba at the in, in Tower of Dawn. She just says the other, but Yurene still feels Silba's presence at the end of Kingdom of Ash when the gods were meant to have been gone. So I think that's important. I think that, I mean, especially if it happens at the end of Kingdom of Ash, that's important. So I think there's something here. I definitely think there's something here. Moving on, it says that Nesta walked through it through time. So again, time being a realm. In the conversation that Nesta has with the mother, it says, or maybe the mother, it's most likely the mother, it says, only curiosity lays the questions. I kind of wonder if we're going to get like a moment very similar, I, I think very similar to Amran, when Amran made her sacrifice at the end of Akawar. Like the mother's like, eventually, maybe one day, I, I do think we're going to get a mother reveal that we'll, we'll meet the mother, like, actually have a conversation with her, her and Void, I, I mean, at least I just, like, that, if that's anything that I want, I want to meet Void, Chaos, Void, Mother, more than I want an Azrael spicy scene, and I know that's gonna shock some people, but that is the, like, if I had a choice between, like, A, B, and C, which would be an Azrael spicy scene, a bone carver moment, <sighs> like a return of the bone carver somehow or a mother reveal a void mother reveal 
I'd probably pick the Void Mother reveal, mostly because I think that the Bone Carver would be the, like, the one who ushered in whoever is going to go meet them. Like, he'd be like, hey, I'm back. Come meet my parents. Because <laughs> he, he was a twin, so he had to have been born from somebody, right? <sighs> he was death itself. Just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Probably comes from mummy, mummy chaos and daddy void. Everybody does. There's your bingo card filled up. I, you know, I wasn't actually going to talk about the bone carver today, but <laughs> there's a moment of thunder <laughs> in here, and it says when the harp's final string wavered like thunder on the air. Anytime thunder shows up, I it's important. It's very important. Like all the thunder in Tower of Dawn, really spooky, really important. The fact that Yurine was conceived by a stranger who came into a thun- came in from a thunderstorm and then like pieced it. Uh, the thunder and lightning on top of Ramil, the fact that Hunt doesn't know anybody with his power, the fact that Adis is like, what are you doing with that? Like, like some, like that he is important with the tattoo on his head. The fact that there's Thur in the universe, like there, like it's important. It's very important. It happens in weird times. It's important. And I think it's interesting that the harp is likened to thunder on the air. Okay, Nesta's power. She says, She reached inward towards the power that had made deathless monsters tremble and wicked kings fall to their knees, but she did not know how to use it. Death flowed through her veins, yet she did not have the knowledge to master it. Nesta's power comes from the darkness. The capital D darkness comes from the cauldron. The cauldron itself. That's what her power was, kind of. This is going to be a very um, quick... Because um, I've been talking a long time. Thanatos is the prince of death and says, All souls bow to me. The princes of hell come from void and chaos. The cauldron is the capital D darkness darkness embrace us everybody returns to void kind of all one in the same does nesta hmm cold cold dark cold fire have ties or powers of that of the princes of hell if they all come from the same thing and her power is death death itself we have a prince of hell who is death the prince of death like, I don't have any answers to Nesta's power. I don't know how death equals flame. I don't know how, if her power was death, how did she make those swords? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't understand it. But I think there's a tiny little piece here that is important. And and if the, like, you know, beings like Lanthes might have already run across princes of hell. We know Thanatos is mentioned in Akawar. So, because he, he goes like, which death god are you? And she's like, oh, you know me. And Lanthes is like, no way. So, like, he, he, he seems to think he knows her power, has seen it before. So, her power has been seen before, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So, there's somebody else out there in the universe who has the power of Nesta. We know Deanna has the cold flame, the moon, moon flame, the silver fire. 
but I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just want to like point out the tailspin that there that is there. It goes on to say that the world paused, the worlds beyond their own paused again. Sarah, how are we surprised by the ending of us? Does that mean that time paused and like actually did pause for other people? Did everybody notice? Did anybody else notice that time paused? Did anybody know? Oh, crazy. Crazy to me. Crazy to me. Did it pause for the in-between? If somebody was in the in-between at the time, did time pause then? Am I thinking too hard? A little bit. It goes on to say, an invisible hand brushed her cheek in answer. We have that invisible hand twice. It ends up preventing some of the power from leaving her. We have that hand that Yurene felt. Yurene thought it was her mother, but... Hmm? Maybe Irene's mother was somebody else? I don't know. I'm, I, am I insane? Probably. Anyways. <clears throat> and then the mother leaves her for a second, or, like, seems to go. I think that this conversation with the mother was, like, kind of interesting, because it just seemed like, did it have to happen right then and there? Because <laughs> I know this is, like, it was a good moment for Nesta to have this moment of, like, healing and realization that she wants to be here, but, like, the mother came through the mask just to be like, okay, live, but, like, your sister's gonna die, or did she come to see if she could, like, goad Nesta into making, like, the bargain or giving her power back? I don't really know what was happening here, but I do think that, like, there's, I think there, like, we've said it before on the podcast, and, um, but, like, that Nesta had her power, was saved by Balthazar, Balthazar being one of the three wise men who visited baby Jesus, who gave the myrrh. Myrrh is using as an anointing oil for kings. If he wasn't there, Nesta probably would have died. She ends up going to the right. She wins the right, goes on to save Nyx. Like, that whole, like, string of events that all happens. Like, I find it, like, wild. Like, I know Nesta is determined. She, She can do whatever she wants. But, like, she got into a fight with a bowl, with mummy's bucket, if you remember from the very first episodes, with mummy's bucket. She got into a fight with a bucket, okay? Chipped the bucket, took the handle, and wore it around her neck. And, like, the, the wild to me. The object of creation that seems to be sentient, the mother itself, like, Nesta, like, told everyone to hold her earrings and got into a bar fight and won, seems wild to me. And that it could never just, like, take it back from her. Also is wild to me. So it kind of leads me to think that maybe it let her have the power so that she could go on to save Feyre, Reese, and Nyx. Because, I mean, we all know that I think that Feyre was somewhat led into having Nyx at the time that she decided to have Nyx. Like, there was some goading that happened. Not that I'm trying to say that she was forced and that she didn't want her baby. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm just saying that, like, things led to it happening. Also, Farrah did try to make a bargain with the cauldron. Not trying to say that Nyx isn't like that, but it kind of... Am I making any sense? Who knows? Okay. Nesta does the three, I give it back, I give it back. She's making the ball, the bargain with the cauldron. It goes on to say that there's an iridescent light. I looked around for the very simple term, iridescent light. 
which is first light, starlight, you know, could, uh, it's probably first light, but maybe, maybe starlight, maybe it's all the same thing. I don't know. There's no mention of the, the term in parentheses, iridescent light in Throne of Glass at all. It happens once in House of Earth and Blood when Rune gives his father a little seed of starlight when they're going, when he's looking through the prism, it says an iridescent light, starlight, seed of light. It happens twice in Hosab, once for Cormac, when Bryce meets Cormac for the first time, and then it's second time when Hunt and Bryce <clears throat> are in that scene doing a little, doing um, the no pants dance, and <laughs> and it says that Bryce and Hunt were filled and glowed with an iridescent right light right before they went through space and time in the garden that's the only two times it happens then so i'm like we get a lot of iridescent light we get a lot of starlight we get a lot of star light um likeness and metaphors and powers and and yada yada but that very specific term iridescent light doesn't happen often so i think that there there's something here i wouldn't just say it's starborn at all. I would not say it's Starborn. I think it could be something else. Um, maybe like just pure first light. I don't really, I don't know. Um, but I do think it's pretty, I mean, it's just something. I don't know. It's something. I, I was so, I was so sure I was going to get it with Urine. I was so sure I was going to find iridescent light when it came to Urine and I didn't. And I was really surprised. I was really shocked. <laughs> okay. The light glimmered down Feyre's arms, her leg infused her ashen skin and began to fill the room, very similar to what happened with Bryce and Hunt in the garden. And then Cassian's siphons guttered as if sensing a power far beyond his own, beyond any of theirs. I don't think this is Nesta's power. So Nesta makes a bargain with the mother. I'll give you what I took if you heal them or show me how to heal them. But I don't, I don't know if that's Nesta's power healing them giving them life. If her power is death, I don't see how she can heal. I don't see how she can give life. I really don't. And if that's just me and I'm insane, that's fine. But it, a bargain has to go two ways. I don't see the mother teaching her anything. I just see the mother doing. That's what I see. She's like, show me how to do it, but she doesn't get shown how to do anything. Just magic is just kind of going through everything. <clears throat> I'm going to say something very specific. I'm not, I'm not saying one thing. I'm not saying another. I just, this was pointed out to me. I saw it. Somebody, uh, somebody sent it to me on Instagram. It was a theory post that somebody made. I don't usually look at other people's theory posts, but this one actually caught my eye. <clears throat> Tendrils of light drifted between the sisters. One more time. Tendrils of light drifted between the sisters. Nesta, Feyre, Elaine. I'm not saying anything about ships. I'm not going to comment any further. If you understand what I'm saying, if you know what's happening in this moment when Feyre gets healed and changed and Nesta changes in this scene, changes something very specific about their bodies... I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's not true. 
but I will tell you, I gasped when someone pointed it out to me, because I don't really look for stuff like that, uh, but once I saw it, I saw it, and I'm not, if you pick up what I put down, you pick up what I put down, if you don't, you don't, and that's fine. It, again, it's, you know, interesting wording. It's interesting wording. I'm just saying. Okay, let's talk about NYX. This is when I'm going to talk about sad things, okay? NYX was born too small, not breathing, didn't make a single sound when all of this is happening. I know it happens pretty fast. Um, nobody's giving him CPR. Nobody's putting breath in him. He's too small. He's not moving, okay? Hmm. To save Nyx, too. That was one of the pieces of her bargain, as if Nyx needed to be saved. And it says this. And one delicate and loving piece of iridescent light flowed towards Moore to the bundle in her arms, setting the silent babe within, glowing bright as the sun. The iridescence filled her, filled Farah, filled the bundle in Moore's arms, lighting her friend's face so the shock on it was etched in stark relief. Okay? And then it says, the light exploded, blinding, warm, and a wind swept past them, as if gathering every shard of itself out of the room. And then I'm just going to skip down so we, so we can continue talking about Nyx. Before a healthy wail went up on the other side of the room, and more, more stammered, weeping, and the silent babe she brought to the bed was not the small, still thing she had been holding, but a full-term winged boy. His thick cap of dark hair lay plastered to his head as he mewled for his mother. Nyx was aged up. He was healed. Healing would have just left him as a tiny little baby. Healing would just be like, okay, he now he's a preemie. We need to put him under special care. You know, we need like a little sun lamp. Like that would be healing, right? Nyx was aged up. He went from a pre... Wicked, wicked preemie to the age he was supposed to be when he was born. Does that make any sense? I wonder... I question if Nyx was made. I think Nyx was made. A lot of people like to disagree with me. Some people like to scream with me. I think Nyx was made. I think that's what happened here. Um, we have very similar, like, iridescent light, seeds of light here. Um, he was aged and healed, just like Feyre was healed and changed into High Fey. Reese was a little bit different, but what happened with Reese was a little bit different anyways, which they, they do state. He was healed with the power of the cauldron. So, I'm, I wonder if when Nyx is old enough, could a lot of things happen? Could he hear the cauldron, just like his mother, sister, or sister's mother, aunts, and Amran? Is he going to be slightly different, kind of like As? As can also hear, like, the cauldron. Also has kind of a pre predisposition um, against the made objects. Like, could he wield the trove? Like, there's a lot of... Could he wield Gwydion? Could he wield Truth Teller? Could he wield the made swords? Like, there's so much 
here? Could he use the Book of Breathings if they still had it? Like, there's a lot of things here. A lot of things here. Did he gain any power that he wasn't maybe naturally born with? I mean, both of his parents are technically made. His mom, super made. His dad, super powerful. Nyx is probably going to be very, very powerful. And now he also has whatever the cauldron decided to impart on him. I think that's really important. I, I, like, if anything, out of this entire chapter is incredibly important, other than the mother showing up, I think it was Nick's being made, or Nick's being aged up, or changed, or however you want to word it, but I, like, urge you, really look at the wording here. Like, something happened to him. And it kind of blows my mind because of what it could mean. I'm, I'm actually, like, pretty, like, high up on team, I, like, if I was to vote, if I had a, if I had a citizenship to Perithian and I got to vote in a democratic system for High King, like, I'd be writing Nick's down, honestly. And I kind of hope, and this is, like, super crack theory and it's almost the end of that episode so I can be a little bit more relaxed. And I've, I've, t I've talked about this with my friends before, but um, does, I don't know if anybody else remembers the show Charmed from like the early 2000s, but it was about three sister witches and like eventually in the show, Piper has, one of the main characters, has a son. I don't, I don't is his name Chris? I can't remember it now. It's been so long since I've seen it. But anyways, her son goes back in time as an adult to when his mom and him were young. Like, I think he holds himself, which, I mean, don't ask me about, like, timeline continuity. That seems like it's a big no-no. But anyways, he goes back in time to, like, help and help his mom and aunts and dad. And I kind of, like, I... How cool would it be if we got, like, an adult Nyx coming back in time? I don't know if it would ever happen. It seems like that would be a wild, wild plot. But it would be really cool. <laughs> I think it's really cool that, you know, a lot of people don't like the pregnancy trope, don't like whatever. But I actually think it's really interesting um, that we do get a baby in our, in our family, in my found, this is my found family, this is my family. I love my nieces and nephews. I love them more than anything. And now I have my little fictional nephew and I get to be Auntie Lily to Nick's, okay? Which is also why I, I don't like people, like, sexualizing Nick's at all because it, like, weirds me out but just because I've, like, already put myself into Auntie Lily mode, which might end up biting me in the behind because when I first met Rune, they're at all of House of Earth and Blood. I was, like, I only saw him as a brother and as somebody who has brothers. I did not see Rune as, like, ooh, Rune. Like, I just saw how Bryce saw him. So in Hosab, when, like, chapter three came up, or no, is it chapter three? Yeah. When Rune, Dan, and knew three things, I had to quickly go, oh, not brother Rune. Not brother Rune. That's change your thinking, Lil. Anyways, that was a lot. The last thing I want to just say before we end on this chapter and as it faded, a dark ink splashed upon Nesta's back, visible 
through her half-shredded shirt as if a wave crashed upon the shore. A bargain with the cauldron itself. In the live, back in last September, Sarah said there would be consequences of Nesta saving Reese, Feyre, and Nyx, and that Reese and Nesta specifically, she mentioned them both by name, would be working together to deal with it. Um, she said that Reese and Nesta have still have a long ways to go in their relationship building, but it's going to happen, I, which I think is really, I'm kind of happy it's not just going to be like, oh, you saved me, I love you, and like, oh, I saved you, I love you, like, it's, they're going to be very true to their characters, and I kind of, I love that. I really love that. I also think that Reese and Nesta would actually be, uh, like, if I ever got a book by Sarah J. Mass that was, like, platonic, I think that Reese and Nesta would have a very fun dynamic, um, like, buddy cop situation there. I think it, I, I kind of hope that we do get a little bit more of them, just because I want to see this dynamic kind of growing. And it sounds like they're gonna, sounds like they got something to work, work towards and work on. Mostly because, like, we have the Red Star that Reese knows about. Now we have Bryce Landing. We know that Reese knows the old Fae. We know that Nesta knows some old Fae because she was new enough to name Ataraxia. Um, I don't know. There's just, like, a, like some stuff that they're circling around each other and knowledge that they both kind of know. And I'm really interested to see that growing and I also like the idea that there's gonna be consequences like they're gonna like the mother's gonna be pulling some cards like like I made I healed your I healed your sister and your brother-in-law and your nephew like now you got to do work for me kind of thing like now I need something from you and that I think is going to be really important I think it might even tie back to like magic of the land being tethered like there's stuff there's so much stuff happening. Oh, like, ah. okay. Also, what's, what's the tattoo, Sarah? What's, why, why hide it? What's the tattoo? Is it still the eight-pointed star? Is it something different? Is it words written on the back? Like, what is it? What is it? I don't, I don't even have a guess as to what it'd be like. If I could guess, it would probably be like, maybe wings also because like i mean like i feel like nesta's gonna have some like old valkyrie helmets have wings like you can see them depicted with like wings on the side so like that's why i think wings i know that um aelin's tattoo had is like wing or feathers right kind of to lead her back home like it was rowan like leading her back home but i kind of like maybe I don't know. I, 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 if it's not going to be an eight-pointed star, then I would like to think it might be wings. That would be my guess, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because she's going to be the Valkyrie Queen and command the Legion of the Dead. Just kidding. That's not going to happen. I don't know. Okay. That is the last that's all I got for today that's all I have to say that was the chapter I'm really happy to have broken it down because like it's it's one of those chapters where like so much emotional stuff is happening that it's really easy to lose some of the important analytical theory stuff like same thing with like when Aelin falls through the world it's like actually you know what maybe the next chapter breakdown I do if anybody wants it I don't even know if anybody wants it is actually that chapter I think I want it um because whenever I read it I get 
lost. I because I get real emotional when everything happens, and I think it'd be kind of cool to break it down and compare it to um, the world we know in Hosap, which we've done a tiny piece of it. We've done like pieces of that chapter when Aelin falls. We've never done it like as a whole, and I think maybe that would be really cool. I also really miss Throne of Glass, which is silly, but I do. I really miss Throne of Glass. I don't. I I feel like we don't talk about it enough on this podcast. There are reasons for it, and I've talked about it. It's just like it's just a lot of information to go through, and it can be really hard to build show notes for it. But I do miss Throne of Glass, and I do want to talk about it. Maybe does anybody have a chapter? in Throne of Glass that they'd like me to do a chapter breakdown other than the one I just mentioned, like, feel free to DM me because, like, that might be really fun. I have next week, um, I do like to give you guys, like, you know, a little piece of what we're doing next week. I'm working on something. I'm not sure if it's going to be, if we're going to be doing it next week or not. It's kind of a special episode. Um, I don't know about it yet, but I think if that I think that's what's going to happen. If not, then I have no idea what we're going to be doing exactly next week. I have, like, my fingers in a lot of little pies, but we'll see. So, it's going to be a surprise. (laughs) I guess it's going to be a surprise, I guess. Um, And that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for listening. I know I was a little bit rambly today. I'm a little fried, but that's okay. When when I'm fried, I get a little rambly, so I'm sorry about that. Um, But, yeah. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. And also, I apologize if there was any sound in the background. The birds are loud today. My neighbors decided that they're going to deforest their whole property. That was super fun. And then some big trucks were going around. It was, we had airplanes. Like, it was wild. It was a wild day to record. So, I'm sorry if you heard any background noise. I'm going to try and edit it out. But if you don't, if I can't, then I'm sorry, and I apologize. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I owe you guys the world, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Goodbye.